On this week's episode of Circles Off, I'm joined in studio by G-Stack George. He's going to break down his history as a better and how he got to be the host of 90 Degrees right here on the Circles Off channel. Also, we're going to discuss this new BetPod ratings account on Twitter, how it's rating, who it might be, and of course, a Bet Bash recap. I was there just over a week ago. We'll discuss all that, my experience there, all that and more. This week's Circles Off starts now. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 116, right here on the Hammer Betting Network. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by G-Stack George. Thank you for having me. No problem. A lot of people might be wondering. No Johnny today. Johnny's one of the hardest working guys I actually know. I say that in all seriousness and truth. He's recharging his batteries before football season, um, and we will have him back in the near future to do episodes, but... Who better than George to have in studio here? I think uh, we've gotten some commentary, George, in the past about people not knowing who you are, your story being a little bit mysterious. So we're going to get to that today. But as usual with Circles Off, we do start with the numbers. Number 16. I have a very old, one of the first jerseys I ever got. Okay. A Vinny Testaverde <laughs> number 16 jersey. We're, we are born on the exact same day in the exact same year, like one hospital apart, basically. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's a very interesting how just like things come together. But I remember the Monday Night Miracle from my youth like it was yesterday. So do I. You, you remember the same game. Yeah, it, it, that game taught me the greatest lesson of life that the game is not over until you get to triple zeros. And that was the that put a scar on me forever, and I will never celebrate until the game is officially done. Triple zeros, no matter how big the lead. That game early in my life taught me that lesson. So I had to look it up to make sure that I actually remembered it correctly. But it was thirty fourth quarter points. Yes, from the New York Jets. The Jets and Dolphins were like in a. I think they were battling for the AFC East that year. So it was actually a really big game. But the, the funniest thing about the game are like the quotes over the course of the game from the commentators about it being over. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger was on that broadcast and he actually predicted that the Jets would come back. Yeah, of course he did. And uh, of course, of, I, obviously, there's a, it's a no-lose no situation yeah. at that point. But they actually did come back. And uh, I remember I, I did not, ha- I got a Vinny Testaverde jersey after that game. Why? Did you make money on it or you became a fan? I was just like, I was always a Cowboys fan, but obviously the Italian roots, Vinny Testaverde, he was like a guy that I wanted to cheer for as well. So um, that was, that was just like one of the first jerseys. I don't even know what happened to that jersey at some point. I'm sure my dad just tossed it. I left it at my parents' house when I moved out and it's just in somewhere. Some, hopefully someone has it. I have a buddy who does that. He, whenever he bets a future, he buys a jersey of that team. And he wants, like, he adopts them as his team, and he rides it all the way, uh, and he's got the jersey. He's like, I'm in the mode, man. Yeah, I mean, that. that's, I'm, I've never been a jerseys guy, by the way. Same. Even when I was young, part of them was like, I, this is like, whatever, this is me just stating what, I like tighter fitting clothing. I'm like a skinny guy. I've always kind of liked that. I don't like loose fitting clothing, and I've always been skinny. skinny. You just can't find, like tighter fitting jerseys it's not what jerseys are they're meant to have stuff on underneath jerseys don't fit for our body types rob everybody in the middle (laughs) (laughs) are enjoying it but you and i were left out of the jersey game for sure um joe montana famous number 16 as well 
Uh, I remember Pat LaFontaine as a 16, and I only bring that up because Rick Jenneret, who is actually one of my favorite hockey broadcast, not just hockey broadcasters of all time, but like broadcasters recently passed away with some of like the most memorable calls, but one of them being like the la 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 LaFontaine. I can't, mm. I can't really do it justice, but I think that's a, one of the best calls in the history of sports. I got one for you. What's the classic uh, locker room guys having a hack in the dart at halftime? Len Dawson. He Len was, Dawson. He was yeah, 16 yeah. and he was hacking the dart in the middle of the, in the locker room at halftime. I go, that's my guy right there. It's the classic uh, Mario Bellatelli as well yeah. uh, from the Italian national team. You'd be doing a disservice if you didn't say Darcy Tucker. Darcy Tucker oh, for yeah. the Le- for the Leafs fan base for sure. Jake Plummer was another sixteen that I recall. Um, the like most ap- everyone always thought like Plummer had like this big upside. He was going to turn into something, and he just he just never mm. really did. He's exciting to watch though for a while. Probably because he he, he must have had one inter- one year where he threw like twenty five interceptions. Yeah, he had, he had chaos to his game. That that scramble around like the play action, like roll out to the right, heave it downfield, and just like. Pray something happens. You know who could be like that? Then I'm not, you know, being hyperbolic because I watched it last night. But Sam Howell's got a little bit of chaos to his game where scramble around, make something happen, good or bad. Uh, Doc Gooden wore a 16 for the Mets. And the reason I remember him is the famous story that he was so high during the World Series parade, he never actually made it. He was was, (laughs) after they won, he went to a drug dealer's house to do some hardcore drugs and he ends up watching the World Series parade high around a bunch of uh, people doing drugs. And I'm like, that. when I saw his 30 for 30, it was one of the craziest stories. That is a pretty crazy story. I didn't know any of that at all. Um, I think we filled our quota of numbers for Joey Kanish, who asks for us to do this on a weekly basis. I know <laughs> he's messaged before and told me it's Oh, his, damn, I'm his, in his bad books his now. His favorite segment is uh, listening to us just ran- randomly rhyme off players that we can remember that wore that number of the episode. Uh, We're going to get into Georgia's background, but before we do, I do want to remind you that Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sportsbook and available to bettors in Ontario. We often preach line shopping here on Circles Off. I think that's one of the most critical aspects to betting. I would never consider betting without Pinnacle being one of my sportsbook accounts because of the everyday competitive odds that they have. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle, your trusted sportsbook, and use code HAMMER when signing up. It does help us support us here at Circles Hoff. Again, use code HAMMER when you sign up to Pinnacle. You must be 19+, plus. not available in the U.S., licensed in Ontario. And as always, of course, please play responsibly. All right, George, we're going to get into it here. Uh, a few weeks ago, it's, it's, I guess more than a month ago, uh, we had this account start up on Twitter BPR, yeah. uh, at BetPod Ratings, which has taken the Twitterverse by storm. And what BetPod Ratings is, we're going to get into this a little bit later into the episode. Uh, but someone, we don't know who, I have my suspicions. We'll <laughs> talk about that a little bit. But someone who's reviewing sports betting podcasts out there, and typically they give a brief summary of the podcast, uh, then a rating, and then a yes or no at the end. Um that might be the giveaway as to as to who it could be. But uh, on August first, August first, uh, hate to throw you under the bus here. I'm just reading it quote for quote. Go for it. It was your interview with Captain Jack right here on the Circles Off uh, channel, and you can get that interview down below in the description if you do want to see it. I personally thought it was an excellent interview. Thank you. But it got a three out of ten and a no rating. 
Uh, specifically, though, poor interviewing by GSG. Oh, wow. Whose actual source of income remains unclear. <laughs> so uh, we, we have to clear this up for people. Yeah. Um, we brought you on to 90 Degrees, replacing Kevin Davis, who could no longer do the show. What's the background on G-Stack George? How did you get involved in sports betting? It's a long story, and it's riddled with failure all around, all along the way. And I'll take you back to the beginning, but I'm going to tell you this was by design. When I interview, I like to give a piece of me, but I don't like to reveal my story. Like, I had a podcast before joining uh, 90 Degrees and doing uh, on this Circles Off channel called The Monday Grind. Mm -hmm. And I didn't release episodes on Monday. So people were always like, what the hell does that even mean? But it was describing something, uh, a process that I go through every Monday during football season. But I like to give my a piece of me in spurts and make it about the guests. I'm trying to make them look good. I'm the point guard. I'm the the head coach to make them look like the star. So that's by design. And, and I'll get into all of that in a bit. But my journey starts off like anybody in Ontario or, or Toronto. My first exposure to sports betting is something called ProLine. Mm-hmm. The Ontario Lottery Gaming Corporation Betting was legal for us, but you had to do it at convenience stores and play through a site called ProLine. And they made you parlay three outcomes at once, huge house edge, uh, but you didn't know any better. You thought this was what sports betting was. And I had competed in, there was a bar in the East York area called Detroit's. And they had other bars in the area that also worked for them. And they had a spread competition where um, you made a pick for every single spread. You gave the bar your money. Yep. And there was a part of that that went to a a giant pool at the end. But there was weekly payouts based on who did the best. So that was my exposure to sports betting. It's parlays through ProLine. I don't even know a single um, outcome that you can bet on. I don't know any of that stuff. And then someone says to me, hey... You know, there's these things like called offshores Mm -hmm. where you can bet individual stuff. Yep. So the first uh, book I ever had was Sports Interaction. Mm -hmm. He recommended it to me. He goes, it's it's in Quebec somewhere. That was my first time I ever bet. It it, it was in Quebec somewhere. It was on the native reserve to to get around the the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I believe they still operate. But he said to me, it was a new world. So first of all, I never had the online experience where you're, uh, you know, sending money over. Uh, I think I was using InstaDebit at the time oh, to, get, yeah. to get money in. And I'm like, oh, you can bet individual games, but, oh, the payouts are not very good. I'm not, I'm not even getting paid out as much as I'm betting because I'm used to parlaying and the, right. the bigger concept. So uh, that was my first experience. Um, ended up betting. Never really took a full interest to it. Off and on, life goes on. And then... The next phase of my life is I get a bookie, a PPH. In Toronto, there was this uh, famous uh, book called Platinum Sportsbook. Yep. And Underground uh, local sportsbook. And they would throw like extravagant Super Bowl parties and would... Um, Did you go to the parties? Yes. I, I must have seen you at some of them. Because yes. Because I was probably there for a half... I was there for... All the parties until the year that it got the, rated. Which was the Baltimore and San Francisco lights out brother brother bowl. That was the year it got rated. That, that was the first one that I, for some reason, I couldn't go to. I don't remember the exact story. I watched the Super Bowl. I remember where I watched that Super Bowl, but I couldn't go to that party. And I was just getting texts off the hook of like, 
Great thing, great, you know, yeah. great you didn't come this year. They got escorted at halftime too. So wow. I had buddies that were there. They said we had to then go find a bar last minute on Super Bowl and everywhere's packed to go find and watch the rest of this game. Now, because of the delay, because of the halftime show of Beyonce and the light outage, they actually didn't miss the game. Right. So it was, it was, it was very odd. That whole Super Bowl, the, the comeback where, where like Baltimore betters must have been sick to their oh, stomach man. with that delay, like everything about it. So that year, um, I started, um, the year before was the Giants and the Patriots yep. in the in the Super Bowl. Uh, wasn't the undefeated season. It was the rematch four years later. Right. So I start getting into betting that year. And then, again, I'm making mistakes because I learned that, hey, I can find out what the public is betting on, and mm. I can fade the public. Uh, I, I used to type in public betting into Google, and there was a website, I think The Spread or something, and they used to give you the graphs, the circle graphs. Yeah, yeah. And a buddy was telling me, you know, reverse line movement and, you know, all this good stuff. And I'm like, I'm a pro now. I think I know what I'm doing. So I'm learning, I'm betting. I'm actually doing not bad. I learned now a lot of it was just luck. Yep. But one thing um, I like to do was I'm, I'm very, um, what's the word I'm looking? I'm, I'm contrarian by nature. Yep. I like to think differently than, than people. I think that's actually a good trait to have in sports betting. Being contrarian by nature doesn't mean that you have to go against what the public is thinking or doing on everything, but thinking in a different way, I think, is generally healthy. Ex exactly. So when... People were doubting the Giants going into the year. And, and I'll tell you the inspiration for it. I, I mentioned it on the Drew Dinsick podcast. But if you remember, like, the Giants had won the Super Bowl four years earlier. And they had a season where they were, like, 13-0. and 0, mm -hmm. And then it just unraveled. I think Plaxico Coburis got hurt. Yep. Or, so th there was the markings of a good team. But the market didn't view them as a good team the next year. And I said, why? They still have everything that they did that got them to the Super Bowl the year before. They had some decent weapons. That was the emergence of Victor Cruz, if oh, you remember yeah. that year. I remember. I'm a Cowboys fan. I unfortunately remember that. I'm going to tell you a story about the Cowboys. December 11th played the Giants on Sunday Night Football and why that's all relevant to me okay. in, a, in, in a minute. So I remember the Giants have this really good D-line. Before it was Michael Strahan, but they always had this, like, they had Osio Maniera and Justin Tuck and then Jason Pierre-Paul. Like, they were a factory. They understood oh, yeah. how to, the blueprint on how to build a defense that could win. If you can get a pass rush with your four defensive linemen, it takes a lot of stress off of your secondary, and it allows your linebackers or extra corners to fill in those gaps. So the best thing in football, the biggest advantage is having an elite four-man pass rush. It allows you to clog up passing lanes. So I understood this concept, even though I wasn't fully understanding of how to bet professionally. So I had some football instincts, and... I remember reading a story, and I told Drew. Drew didn't never heard this story, but there was a St. Louis Cardinals fan who bet them to win the World Series a few months uh, out of the playoffs. Okay, when they were like eighteen games back or something, it was inconceivable at nine hundred and ninety nine to one, and he bet two hundred fifty dollars. I got the the numbers wrong with Drew. I thought he became a millionaire, but he bet two hundred fifty dollars, ends up winning a quarter million dollars. Yep, I got inspired. I said you know what, I just want to win once in my life and feel like I won some big money. So entering the season, the Giants are like 30 to 1 or 35 to 1, end up putting like $1,000 on it. At this point, I'm selling cars, I'm making good money. And I make this bet because I go, I want the Giants to win. I go, if they win, I want to feel good. I want to feel as good as this guy in St. Louis and get the glory and feel like you're some sort of hero. So the season progresses. 
and the Giants are showing some good traits, but they're not playing that. They're not playing out the gate as strong. But Victor Cruz is picking it up. They've got a dynamic offense. They're like four and three, about fifty to one, and then I bet like another two hundred bucks mm-hmm. paid uh, ten grand at fifty to one. So now I'm going to win forty five grand at this point. Yep. So now it's week. 14 or 15, it's December 11th. I remember it because my best friend's daughter was born December 11th, which happens to be one day before I was. So I'm at her birthday party, and I see the Giants are playing Dallas uh, Sunday Nighter. And Giants are 72-1 to to win the Super Bowl now. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because they are out of, like they're not even leading the division, and you can't make it in as a wild card that year from the NFC East. But I said they're playing Dallas tonight. And if they beat Dallas in the Sunday nighter, yep. then all of a sudden 72 to 1 is is crazy because you're going to have a, a division leader entering the playoffs. And then you get a home game and you never know what happens from there. So I bet $100 more. So now like the grand total is like $52,000. I've got $1,300 laid out. Um, they end up winning that game and it was like crazy comeback, tight game. They end up winning it. And I remember the whole playoff run. They play Atlanta first game, dominate them. Atlanta scores two points on the safety. Yeah, I remember that one. Next game, they play the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau. And if you remember, Hakeem Nix caught a uh, halftime Hail Mary. Yes. Like, I remember everything about it. And then the uh, NFC Championship game, they play San Francisco. And it was like the fumble. Fumble, punt, return, and overtime. uh, Everything. Like, the whole run was miraculous. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what I'm doing yet. I think I do, but I start to believe in something called fate. Yep. I go, this is fate. I love the Mannings. To this day, I, I still maintain Peyton Manning was better than Tom Brady at his oh, peak. We, we can get into that. Yes. I, I'm totally in agreement with you. Yes. We are probably in the vast, vast minority, but yes. at peak levels, Manning was better than Brady. I don't I think will, it's debatable. I will die on this hill. <laughs> same with, same I'll, with I'll, I, If I'm the last person on earth that believes it, it yep. doesn't matter. But that's so I have an attachment to the Manning brothers. And it's also a, a double like F you because Eli's beating Tom to get there. So it's the Super Bowl. And now I'm this kid with $1,300 worth of futures that pays over 50 G's. I've never won anything big in my life. And uh, this is on platinum. So the word gets around town uh, in the da- in the Danforth area. This crazy kid has this money on futures, and he, he refuses to, to to hedge. First of all, the Patriots were big favorites, so hedging was like a fool's errand, right? Yeah, like, of course. So I'm like, listen, I'm just gonna ride it. I believe in fate. They did it four years ago. Uh, I think they can get it done. That game happens, and I remember everything uh, everything about it because. Uh, I've got pictures with all my boys there. Um, my buddy has a futon, and we're watching the game. The um, his daughter, and I told you it was her uh, birthday. Her birthday, one, one year, year, one year old birthday. Yeah. The, we're in the final game, and I've got this Eli Manning dra- uh, jersey draped around my neck, and we're watching the game, and I'm nervous, and she just all I feel is like two little hands on my back, wrapped up in the jersey, and I'm like, oh my god, this is this is happening. Now, my buddy knows. 12 is my number. I was born on the 12th day of the 12th we, we month. We got the same stuff, man. My yeah. whole life, it's been 12. 12 is my number. Roulette, 12, whatever it is. And you can look this all up. My buddy looks to me and goes, guess where this drive is starting? From the 12-yard line. First play, Eli Manning, Mario Manningham to the sideline. I go, oh, my God, this is happening. 
So, Rob, the, the game ends up happening. They win. And I, I think we had to sweat a Rob Gronkowski Hail Mary, like, just because, you know, it's... Yeah, of course. It's, it's it can never be easy. No. <laughs> so, here's the, here's the problem. I now, I believe I'm a hero. I'm a professional sports better. Yeah. I know how to win. I, I had a great run. I was about to say, and, and sort of cut you off, but this has a lot of, like, the problem gaming aspects associated with it, right? Like, yeah. What your story reminds me very much of my own minus the the big win sure it's just thinking in terms of numbers like i i remember or or fate or uh i remember betting against the red Sox when they won the world series they broke the curse of the yeah. bambino yeah i would i thought that that curse was real yeah like i i bet against them they were they were the yankees were up three nothing on them um in the al championship series and i'm like well this is it i'm just gonna bet the yankees game four and if mm-hmm. they lose i'm gonna double so i martingaled yeah, all yeah. those and lost every one then they got to the world series i knew that they were a million times better than the cardinals yeah but i'm still convinced myself the curse is real they're yeah. gonna lose and i'm betting the cardinals so anyway sorry to interrupt but it does have like the the elements of uh, and now the downfall is gonna happen because i'm the pro i made money uh i know what reverse line movement is now i can read the public betting percentages i'm smarter than everybody and i quit my job and I say, I'm going to do this thing professionally. First of all, I was scared that I wasn't going to get paid by Platinum. I remember... Uh, I, That's a legitimate concern. I brought my cousin with me and I'm texting with the agent and I go, like, I wanted to meet in as public during daytime as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to meet on Danforth, but he goes, I'm parked in the alley. Do you mind coming? I go, okay. Me and my cousin, I go, okay, this is it. We're, it's like the, the Goodfellas scene with De Niro, you know, <laughs> back that way, yeah. you know. That yeah, way. yeah. I go, we're either getting paid or, or one of us is going away. So we get in the guy's car and this freaking guy's counting the cash out. And it, it was real to me. I'm like, oh my God, I've, I've never held this kind of money. I texted everybody in my phone and I said, hey, drinks on me at Legends. This was my buddy's bar on the Danforth. Tuesday, I get paid out on Tuesday. Uh, I ended up spending like two grand at the bar that night, but it didn't matter. It was just good vibes. I was a guy who believed in vibes. Right. Quit my job. I'm going to do this. I'm a pro. Nobody can tell me anything. And then all the bad stuff happened. I understand. I, I, I learned about the variance of sports betting and the coin flips. And when you have no edge and betting late and everything, I was doing all the wrong things. And I'm betting parlays because now I've got ego and um, I'm a great better. So I'm bombing everything the other thing nobody taught me about life is when you don't work a job you're bored during the day oh yeah Got so nothing to do so now rob i'm spending money during the day to keep myself entertained so the money's even going faster maybe within two months i lost everything in fact i lost everything i had saved up before non from sports betting and i fell into a dark depression and i would go to the bar every day and drink and my my uncle probably doesn't listen to these podcasts but he actually like saved my life in that moment because I was too proud to go back to my old job, which I was good at. I was a very good car salesman. Yep. I was too proud to show everybody I failed. Yeah. And just came into the bar and he said, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, uh, I'm just having a couple of drinks. And he's like, I'm just here with a business partner, but I'll be done in about half an hour. Let's have a drink. So we're talking and I don't know why. And I usually hide this stuff and hold it back. I was just able to humble myself at that moment and said, hey, I'm in a really bad spot mentally, financially. Um, and my uncle said, hey, he, he's a home builder, one of the m- most successful ones in the city. He said, why don't you come work for me? Yep. 
I did it for two months. I realized I hate construction. Oh, yeah, it's, I did it for a summer in high school, and I, I don't think never again, these hands never are not no. born to construct anything, really. Yes. But it got me back on my feet financially. I sucked it up. I went back to the dealership I worked at. And at that moment, Rob, I put gambling away forever. I said, you know what? That was a scary moment in life. Yep. I, I got all the thrills of the victory and all the like the sinking feeling of losing everything. And I said, I'll never do it again. And I've ch I changed my life at this point. I said, you know what? I don't want to sell cars anymore. This was after another year of working there. I said, but I want to get into media and broadcasting. So I go back to school. I go to Humber to learn how to become a broadcaster. You did the broadcast journalism program yeah. at Humber College? I yep. wanted to be Bob McCowan. I wanted to be the guy in the mic. Yep. And then I learned a year into my program that the fastest way into the industry is uh, as a producer. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'll be a producer. I got a job offer at News Talk. Uh, I'm happy with my new life. I'm not even thinking of sports betting. Like, I, I dabble here and there, yep. but nothing, nothing serious. Then I meet somebody who changes my whole outlook uh, and understanding of betting. And I'm telling him my story, and he's like, okay, okay. He goes, here's what you actually have to understand about sports betting. It's a market. Mm -hmm. And he started to, like, fill, fill my head with words that I've never heard before, like uh, get, gaining an edge and telling me about odd screens. I never knew this world. Yep. At that point, I'm fascinated. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm one of those guys that if I get an idea in my head, I'm going to pursue it. Yep. Like, I'm going to drop something like sidebar here, but I liked rap for a while. Okay. I made an album. I got on the radio. Oh, God. We, we, we need to hear that one. I we actually might have to use it for the intro track for 90 Degrees going forward. I battle rapped on King of the Dot, what? the second biggest battle league. And I have a video on YouTube with 250,000 views. Okay. And I only say this to tell you this is the kind of person I am. Right. right? When I get an idea in my head, I'm going to push it. Like, that's how I, that's how I operate. I, th I think this is a... I honestly think that's a very common trait for successful sports bettors. Because it's like not settling for any it's always like got to be the best got to be the best and part of it is because you're competing in a market with all these other betters you can't settle for just like being average exactly so i'm educating myself now now i'm reading i'm like okay what is the, and i start you know going through forums and, and start reading i get introduced to some media um end up learning from captain jack uh circles off Spanky's podcast, Be Better Betters, Bet the Process. I start learning that this, there's this whole new world to explore and how to do it. And I taught myself uh, through a ton of reading. I'm the type of guy that during the pandemic, whenever something would release a medical journal, I actually read it because okay. I wanted to understand what was in it so that when I'm having an argument with somebody and they're reading the surface points, I, I, can, I, I can tell you what was in that medical journal because that's the way I, I'm, I'm designed. I'm very curious. Right. So I'm learning about sports betting. Uh, I'm doing well for a couple years now. Um, but I, I learned my lesson. I'm not going to leave my job. I'm happy at News Talk. I'm making money. And I was working the evening show. So it allowed me to be on uh, on screen until like a certain time. And like once my show started, whatever, I had to get off screen. But it was 7 p.m. my show started. Um, lovely lady Barb DiGiulio was my first oh, really was my first host I remember hearing her news updates on CFRB 1010 back yeah. in the day yeah, yeah yeah so that was uh my exposure and then um my cousin and I were also betting on something called pools in OLG and there's a real opportunity there because there's a weekly payout of like five six hundred thousand dollars every single week and you're not playing against the book you're playing against a pool of players yep. they take their rake yeah but the game could get the game could be beat. I, I figured out 
a way to take advantage of the game. We're, so boxing multiple yeah, games so, across different tickets? Yeah. Okay. So just to, just to explain to the audience um, what the pool's um, game was, you had to pick the winner of every single NFL game over the course of a week. So you just go fill out a scratch card and say, these teams are going to win. And it was $5 fee. If you wanted to box a game, which meant take both outcomes of a game, it would double the cost of the price uh, 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 that you had to pay. So if you want, a lot of people would box like Sunday night and Monday night football yeah. because they didn't want to have to like deal with hedging or the, or have a sweat. So they'd box those games would be a $20 ticket instead of a $5 ticket. But on one single ticket, it only allowed you to box five games. Four games. Four games. So $80. Yes. What I figured out was if I take two tickets and spend $80 on both tickets, I can now eliminate a fifth game. Mm -hmm. And if I bring in another $160, I can eliminate two games now. Yeah. Right? So we didn't have a budget, though, at this point. But we learned how to uh, identify how to eliminate games. And we started mathing it like, okay, probability of teams winning. Mm -hmm. Uh, the rest of the games on the board, are there enough upsets there? Because we won, like we've spent before 2500 bucks And won 1300 Yeah, no, $400. Okay. So it, it, we've lost money doing it. So there's two dynamics, right? There's You want to spend enough money to eliminate enough games. Yeah. But you, there has to be enough big spreads on the board that when upsets happen, the payouts go up. Yep. Totally agree with you. I mean, uh, so just getting into, like, this is just gen. So again, our paths overlap so quickly and we probably, uh, because of we're born on the exact same day and we probably reached like very similar points in our life. So I went through this exact same experience with the pool stuff where we, you know, me and a few friends won pools probably four or five times, never the huge payout, which I was looking for. Yeah. Sometimes we would win like 10 K, which is nice. Sometimes we would put in, you know, 2,500 and we'd lose because, but after we did it the first time, we're like, well, we're dummies. Why are we boxing um, all these games that are a pick em and like and picking all the big spreads? We should be actually doing the opposite. Yeah, we should be trying to pick the games that are a pick em and boxing the bigger spreads and hoping that one of these under 14 point underdogs wins, because if that happens, then this ticket pays like immediately pays like 100K because nobody has those outcomes. Yeah, I'll actually do you one better. I didn't even pick the pick ems because I, I believe if you pick three pickums, you'd actually be better off just putting the money into a book, mm. right? For 10K for three. So here's where it is. Uh, is a 12-game card. You can't make money when there's only 12 games. This is when all the buys are happening. Pools doesn't include the Thursday nighter because they want to get as much action up to Sunday morning. So on a 12-game card, there was like seven multi-digit spreads. Yep. So me and my cousin and I, we put 10 grand down and eliminate everything but one game, Baltimore. Baltimore is a 13 pay point favorite against uh, Cincinnati and if you bet that 10k online it would pay what uh, 1800 bucks they're like minus 600 or something sure. something of that nature so as long as the pools ticket paid more than 11 8 yep we're way ahead yep well chaos happened that week yeah Baltimore won chaos happened we made 100k mm -hmm. and off, off an outcome you'll never get that kind of markup because I don't play parlays yeah uh, I don't play futures that much. And, and when you do, it's, it's, it's very hard uh, to win a future and then let alone to make money. Pools offered an opportunity to blow up and grow your bankroll fast in a way that the average betting doesn't. So 2019 comes and my cousin is like pushing me. He's like, listen, we need to do this. Like we're, we've been making money steadily for a few years. And I said, I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. Had a bad experience. I don't want to do this. 
we entered that year and we I had a bankroll that was dedicated to the daily wagering for for football but also for pools something separate because you can't measure the ROI on pools. It's very weird and stupid. Yep. There's like uh, Pisky tells the story on your podcast about how they lost for like 11 weeks before they went they hit the Hail Mary right. game, right? So you have to accept that there's going to be four or five weeks in a row where you don't make money and you're wondering what the hell am I doing? Yep. So 2019 comes and it's week four and we end up, and I remember everything about it. I, I remember what the big upset was. I remember all the games we had. The big upset was Tampa Bay beat the Rams as a 12 point uh, underdog. And at that point, the Rams were three and zero, fresh off a Super Bowl appearance. Everybody thought they were the best team in the world. So we had that game boxed. We had other upsets. Won the most amount of money I've ever won in one week ever. And then the next week happened and we won a lot of money again. And then another week happened and we won a lot of money again. And I don't want to give details of the money because, A, I don't want to come off like Simon Hunter and get attacked and everybody's going to say you're full of shit. And I have pictures and screenshots and I don't want to. I don't ever want to post it. I could, I could do it and say, "Hey, let me start." No, you don't, you don't have. You, I, I know we interviewed um, China Maniac a yeah. few weeks back as well, and you know people just did, honestly didn't believe the story he was selling, and he had to come on Twitter afterwards and post like all these screenshots. It is what it. it, it I, I I didn't want to do it, and frankly, like I, I have a little bit more tact than that, and I I don't care to ever. I'm not trying to be a tout. I don't care about that stuff. If you think I'm not a good gambler, that's your business. I don't care. I make money. Uh, I showed you some stuff just to show, hey, Rob. Uh, this is real. Uh, this is real, yeah. right? So uh, 2019 ends up being a fantastic year all the way through. And about halfway through, I had been getting hounded by an ex-salesman at Bell's Me Bell Media who wanted to start up his own media company. And he goes, I want you, because at that point at News Talk, I had risen to the ranks of being like the best producer at News Talk on the biggest show in the drive time uh, hour and he said, I want you to help me design this stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm a little unhappy right now at the place. I've peaked where I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm very aware of when there's no more room for growth. I've been there five years. I said, it's it. My boss is not going to step aside to give me his seat. Yep. <laughs> and that's the only seat that I want that's next. And I go, that's not going to happen. Uh, now, all of a sudden, my bankroll lit literally robbed. Uh, and this again, this is I don't want people to say, oh, yeah, bullshit. You double your bankroll in one year. We more than doubled our bankroll in oh, that yeah. in that year. Well, when you're play when you're playing uh, like for people that don't want to believe that, I mean, pools is essentially parlay betting in, yes, in yeah. a sense. Right. You're just stacking all these combinations together and it's going to, you know, pay a, a large amount. But when you are betting that type of style, it's much easier for you to, you know, threefold, tenfold your bankroll uh, in a short period of time. It's also yeah. much easier for you to lose consistently because yeah, the hold is higher on a lot of those markets. And in 2020, there was the upsets weren't happening. Right. Because uh, I'll tell you a game specifically. And I'm sorry, I like the sidebar. I like the chat. Do you remember uh, Houston versus New England 2020? And I'm, you'll remember it once I jog your memory, but it's Davis Mills is a rookie, and everybody's like, Bill Belichick doesn't lose to rookies. I, I remember the game clearly, and pr I remember doing a periscope that morning yeah. where I specifically probably talked about that. Because the Patriots had four offensive linemen out. It was COVID, right? That, that I, I, so I actually, I'm confusing it. I actually bet the Texans that game. Yes, yes. No, uh, I did too. Okay. So, so yeah. fo follow me here, right? Yeah. Four offensive linemen out for New England. Never, like this doesn't happen. Four starters. Now, the market doesn't account for that. They, they can understand the fantasy guys and the quarterback. 
at that time, I would say the market was a little no, no, bit slow. Not the betting market, the uh, public. Because you got to remember, when I play pools, I'm not playing against. There are sharps, but the majority I'm playing against very public betters. Dead money, I would yes. call it. Yes. So Houston's winning the whole game, leading by two scores. And then, like, they punt the ball off the guy's back. And, like, so a lot. And, and what I learned was a lot of upsets didn't hold in 2020 because it's one thing to catch a team off guard. And if you have a home crowd that can energize you and get you to the finishing line. But eventually, if you play long enough, the better teams win. Yep. Right? It's the reason why it's harder to upset in the NBA in a seven-game series because you catch a team off guard once in the NFL and their lights are out. But seven, through seven games, the stronger team will eventually pull themselves through. Yeah. So in COVID, a lot of these teams didn't close out their wins. So the payouts were not good in pools in 2020. Anyways, this is a long, uh, long sidebar. 2019, I said, you know what? Here's the time. Uh We've had success. I'm unhappy in news talk. This guy wants to pay me to help me help blow up his media company. So it was a good payday for me. Yep. I said, that was the moment. I was finally ready. I had money um, for a bankroll. I had investments in life. I had income coming in, not just from news talk 1010. So now my job was like my third best source of income. Yep. And that was the moment I'm like, okay, here's the time. Mm-hmm. I step away uh, from my job and now I'm, I'm a professional better. I bet football. I don't bet other stuff because I still believe in quality of life. I don't want to live on a screen all the time. Fair enough. Yep. I also, football's a big enough uh, liquid market and I can get enough money down that I can make my living in a six-month window and enjoy the other aspects of life. But I'm retired I'm retired from uh, living and here's the downside. It's COVID. I can't even go on vacation because that was my plan March to March to June every year. I was like, I'm just going to go to Greece for two months and yep. hit the Caribbean. So that aspect of life changed. So now I'm bored. Two years of doing this, I'm bored. I'm like, okay, I still love media because I wanted to get into media. And I go, I, 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 I see you guys. Uh, you guys were my favorite podcast. Even And I told you guys this long before I ever joined the team. And I said... You can do educational content. You can tell stories. You can help the person like me in 2011 who thought that reverse line movement and public betting mattered. And you don't have to tout yourself. You don't have to show yourself I'm a big winner and let me show you my futures ticket. And some people do that. I don't disparage it. That's your choice. That's just not my style. I also have been taught in life don't show people uh, how much you make because it creates, uh, it puts eyes on, on what you're doing. Operate in silence. Make your money. Be happy. So I'm bored. And I'll tell you the moment that I decided I want to do media. Uh, Steve Fezzik. And I actually like Steve Fezzik. A lot of people don't. I, I love his brand of media. I think on Twitter, uh, he's insufferable. But that's part of the game. He's talking to Ross Tucker and he's telling him about an edge in preseason. He said, you should be laying money lines instead of minus one and a half and twos because one point is actually a key number in preseason. And this was the reasoning he said, because coaches don't want to go to overtime. That's what he said. Good edge, right reasoning, wrong wrong information. There is no overtime. Right. <laughs> it's not that they're trying to avoid overtime. There is, there is no overtime. There's no overtime. Yeah. So I said, you know what, There's I'm, I'm a very sharp guy, and I read all the rules, and I'm like, there, there's the void where I can come in with some educational stuff, but I can also, like, give the correct information uh, when people are talking about player names and yeah, that guy he's key for them. I mean, they don't know the name. Yeah, stuff irks me when, I, as a listener, I'm like, no, I know the name. I wanna, I should be on that pod to correct the record. That's how I end up getting in the media. That's my story. Um, full of failure. 
took a long time to get to success. Very similar to mine. Um, li little bit of differences along the way. I got into media first. That was like my first exposure. Um, didn't never never graduated from university because I just got a full time job offer in sports media. I was a huge sports fan when I was twenty years old. I was like, yeah, this is a no brainer. Like I, this was never even a career option for me. Now it is. I'm gonna do this, and that kind of led me down the path of oh, thinking I'm like this is gonna be this great sports better as well. Didn't work out that way, but. Yeah, we share a lot of, of that. For the for the people out there now, how's it going for you the past couple of years? When you say that, you're, are you still betting exclusively NFL? Yes. Are you doing other sports? No, I, I bet boxing and I bet political events, but boxing doesn't uh, come around that often. Uh, and unless it's the big, big fights, uh, yeah. you're not getting down liquidity. Political events are even more rare. It's just a humongous edge, that I, uh, and I enjoy it. I'll tell you something. Watch an election night. When you have money on it. Yes. And all of a sudden that race that you don't care about the 48th senator in, in North Dakota, that becomes very entertaining to watch. And yeah, yeah, call it, call it and watching the numbers. So from an entertainment perspective, I also have an edge. The other stuff, I got rid of the slot machine gambling. I love football. I love basketball. I love hockey. I'm a fan. But I, I don't know how to bet it. And I, and I don't want to learn how to bet it because I don't want to spend that kind of time commitment. Fair enough. I'm similar to you in that aspect. People are like, why do you only bet football and hockey? I, I don't only bet football and hockey, but the other sports that I bet, the origination comes from someone else entirely or it's top down slash steam chasing, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So like, yeah, it is what it is. But uh, for bet pod ratings, who's, you know, George's actual source of income remained unclear up until now, but it is now clear that he's still doing this for a living. No other job. No, this that's is, it. That's it. You, you told me, uh, hey, let's come record this at 11 a.m. on a random day. I'm like, yeah, okay. Of course. I've got nothing else planned, sure. Yeah. You want to record an episode? Yeah, let's go. When I uh, book a guest, I'm like, what's your schedule? This is off season. What's your schedule like? I'm very flexible. I can work around your schedule. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat, except I have the businesses as well. So it takes up a lot of my time. And now I have like an addiction to golf, which stemmed because of the same thing that happened during COVID. Mm -hmm. Couldn't really travel. There was nothing to do. Places were closed. What opened up first? Golf courses. Oh, can I, can I ask you? Was Netflix every Monday morning releasing the Jordan Doc two parts at a time, not like the, the sporting event of the week? Because I know it was for me. Okay. It, it was for a lot of people, but... The way that I like to consume things is wait for it all to come out mm. and watch it all in one shot. Well, yeah, but if you're waiting for it because you have other stuff to do, it's COVID. What else do you have to do? Yeah, so, but like I, I, I would have just watched other series or I would like, I rewatched The Sopranos like 14 times oh, during yeah, yeah, COVID yeah. or whatever. Like that, that's my kind of thing. The only show, the only shows that I've really ever watched week to week in my life, um, like put post streaming sure because be, like when we were growing up there was no netflix no, no, it was no. you had to tune in at yeah, you know 9 p.m on sunday night to watch the sopranos on hbo whatever and if you didn't do that you know you're, you're out of luck some yeah. somebody one of my friends might have vi literally videotaped it and yeah, gave yeah. me a vhs so yeah. i could watch it the next day but aside from that you know it, there was no streaming nowadays with streaming they drop all these shows all at once, an entire season, whatever. The only shows I've ever watched week to week since then are Game of Thrones mm. and Succession, where just I watch them on a weekly basis. Aside from that, I just don't... Game of Thrones, 
mostly because if I didn't watch the episode it's live, spoiled. It's, it's spoiled. Yeah, hundred percent. But he, I would see stuff. Um, that what was the uh, the Jordan documentary was the Last Dance. Yeah, and it was hashtag the Last Dance. I just muted that hashtag okay. on okay. Twitter, and I never saw this. Got it. Got so it. I. But it's a doc. How much can they spoil that? Well, of course, I know the whole Jordan yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know the flu game. You know, I knew that he was a better. And, yeah. and like I, I've heard all the stuff, but it, it was very entertaining. But yeah, I mean, I I, ex- I exhausted all the streaming content. How good are you when you watch shows? Because like for me, it takes me like three seasons to figure out everybody's name. Yeah. So uh, Game of Thrones, I got into late, like around season five. Yeah. And I remember having a group chat with my buddies, and they love it because I'm like late watching the show, so they they're very good at not spoiling it. And I'm like catching up with them, and like for the first three seasons, it's like, hey, remember the guy who killed the big guy with the right, or the guy who's banging his sister, like that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know nobody's names until like the third season. I'm like, okay, I, okay, you've said it enough times. I figured it out now. So I never watched the first season of Game of Thrones live. Mm-hmm. I watched it all in one day with my wife um, after the fact. And Google Images was my friend because I would get to like the third episode. They'd say a name. I'd be like, I have no idea who the fuck this is. Yeah, yeah. Quick Google Image. I'm like, okay, I know who this is or whatever. So Google Images through the entire first season was how I got through. At the end of season one, I read all all the books between season one and season two. So I had a very good foundation for it the rest of the way. But I could see how it would have been extremely confusing for yeah it, especially a lot of characters a lot and and a lot of them look the same like similar in, names yeah, too. similar names and they're all wearing the same clothing and from this family and and if you start throwing in time jumps i'm all the way confused about what the hell's going on yes totally um really quickly here if you've enjoyed the content here on circles off make sure you do smash that like button but also subscribe to the channel set notifications going forwards the last 28 days 53.2% of the views in the last 28 days are from people who are not subscribed. And of that 53%, I can see a lot of you came back and watched a second video as well and a third video. So if you're not subscribed, just quickly hit that subscribe button. It does help us monetize the channel. It helps people find our content on YouTube and we can continue to grow, continue to do these episodes. It's just a no-brainer. If you do enjoy the content, subscribe. If you're listening in audio form, just rate and review five stars or just rate and review whatever you really think of it. Hopefully you think it's a five-star podcast and you rate and review it that way. But honestly, we do value the feedback. And that's what I want to get to with the next topic here, which is, I guess, a form of feedback in the Bet Pod Ratings Twitter account. So yes. I led the show with it and kind of intro to you um, with that as well. But this thing has emerged now. It's not a, a huge following, but I'd say definitely people are aware of it all together now. Yeah. And I'm curious what your take is on the account and like how it personally affects you if it does in any way when you see the reviews of your podcast. All right. So first of all, I got very thick skin. You you can't offend me. Uh, there's two things. I'm too happy in life to let anybody say anything to bring me down uh, online. The second thing is nobody would ever repeat this stuff to my face. I'm very confident in uh, in personal uh, and face-to-face interactions and nobody would ever bring this kind of energy. So that being said, the person is clearly smart and prefers sharp content and doesn't think much of me. Thinks Either he thinks I suck as an interviewer, which objectively, I'm a producer. I spend a lot of time in media. I don't believe that's true. I think I am good. Maybe he doesn't think I'm smart enough because I don't give enough of my takes. But 
he clearly likes what I'm doing because he's never not finished my. I shouldn't even say him because you know it could be it could be a woman. They've never not finished. I, I, based off the tone of this account, <laughs> I would I would lay minus ten thousand male. Well, they've never not finished my stuff, and the last two podcasts I did with Sharp Clark and Joey Kanish, even though I sucked up the joint, and you know you got to avoid listening to my parts for the hour. They enjoyed it enough to say, hey, I would recommend it. It was entertaining. Also, though, but like that aside, they actually put me onto a pod that I never heard of. Um, like they they gave a 10 out of 10 to Haralabob on Spanky Be Better Betters. And I agree. Like that was my favorite episode. I tell you, um, Haralabob was Spanky's best episode. Shane Sigsby was uh, Bet the Process's best episode. And for you guys, it's either Barry Horse or Matt Trenhill. One of those two episodes. Those are my two favorite episodes. So he actually put me on to Matt Trenhill, did another podcast, gave yep. it a 10 out of 10. I had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Because of it, I actually took a recommendation and I listened and I enjoyed it. So thank you very much. I'm sorry that I let you down every episode. <laughs> and I, I'm trying I'm trying my best here. Just give me enough time. I'm one of those guys that I eventually will grow on you. You know, Eventually, if you hear a song enough times, you catch an earworm for it. So I'm, I'm hoping I turn it around. Believe in me. The account seems to like all the guests you have on, yes. but not you in particular. So I'm a good uh, uh, selecting the guests. The topics are good enough that I can make the guest uh, look good and talk about stuff that makes them smart and sound good. I just got to do something. Maybe, uh, maybe it's my face. Maybe they don't like my face. I'll, I will try to change that for you. I, like you, um, don't put much serious stock into it. I do literally value every piece of feedback, regardless Mm -hmm. of whether or not it's coming from someone who likes me, dislikes me. Um, There are, you know, there's like a brief explanation in in each tweet or what's it called? What are they called now, Zach? Posts. Posts. In each post Mm -hmm. um, of like why they liked the episode or didn't. And that's fair. I think clearly this is uh, someone who's a very sharp person Hmm. just based off of the descriptions. I clearly see some personal vendettas against other people from this account, which is maybe a dead giveaway of who it was, but you interviewed Chris Andrews. Okay. um, And there was some like derogatory remarks about Chris Andrews in the review of that podcast. Okay. That weren't about like his appearance. It was just like Chris Andrews, like boots winning sports betters or whatever, like, there's only a few people out there that are constantly harping on that. So maybe that's a little bit of a, a giveaway. Mm. But generally speaking, this is one person's opinion on things. Uh, I like to crowdsource opinions for one, and I'm very deep rooted in analytics. Mm. So for people out there that don't really know the amount of planning that goes into Circles Off and what we do, I evaluate every single episode that we ever do like over evaluate it, like yeah. exhaust myself by going through metrics, both in video and audio form. Um, where did viewers drop off yeah. in this video? Did they also drop off on audio at the exact same time? Uh, what topics tended to do well and mm. others? So when, you know, I look at a, an example like, um, you know, the Brad Powers interview that w- aired last week. Yeah. Uh, BetPod ratings gave it a four out of 10. No, as a recommendation. Um, mostly CFB process talk. Unfortunately, Brad Powers process isn't particularly interesting. Grinding CFB year round, pouring through box scores, betting circa openers. 
that's the the opinion of one person. Yes, yes. But then I will go to the analytics and I'll look at the average watch time for that video relative to another guest and it's through the roof. Yeah. So for me, I like to see it, but I'm never going to put any stock into it. Like it may, maybe they might pick up on something that is a valuable piece of in, you know feedback for me. Rob repeatedly us or does this or sure, does that sure, and sure. you know but aside from that um yeah I'm not going to let it bother me or you, get to me in you any know way. you know what we have to understand is like the super sharp community they'll listen to our pods but they represent like a, a very small segment of who the audience is uh, as much as we want to think hey we're catering to sharp betters the truth is uh, it's a lot of guys who just want to get better don't do it professionally and enjoy it from an entertaining perspective. So the loudest voices uh, are often represented by like the smallest minority of... 100%. And that's a problem. If we believe that stuff uh, that stuff to be true, like um, uh, Twitter has a very loud uh, uh, voice about opinions of things, but the reality is Twitter's not real life. So Twitter hates wrestling, right? They hate the creative direction that wrestling's heading in. But they're breaking revenue records and sales and people are loving it because Twitter only represents a, a small segment of the audience. And I think we have to remember that it might not be BPR's, um, you know, top uh, his flavor of what he enjoys. And that's totally cool. Um, I never I never begrudge a person for not liking what they don't like and liking what they do. Content is how you choose to consume it. Totally agree with you there. Um, and listen, like there's stuff that's true, but it's like, I'll give an example, right? We did a, we, we like to do Q and a episodes on circles yeah. off. Right. Yeah. And, um, the bet pod ratings account will typically describe those as like low effort, low effort <laughs> episode, which is totally true. Yeah. It's a low effort episode, but we've done so many Q and A's now. I know how they perform analytically. I know roughly how often we should do them. It is low effort, mm -hmm. but it also gives opportunity for viewers and listeners to like get feedback from us sure. and participate in the discussion. This is a pre-recorded podcast regularly. It's not like we're live and people are yeah. you know able to interact in real time. So it gives people an opportunity to do that, and people take the opportunity to do that. So we'll continue doing those going forwards, even though they're low effort. It's not even low effort because they're still uh, you know gathering the questions. You want to know what's really low effort? Watch along content. That's it. I, I have nothing oh, to prepare. That's why it's my favorite. I know. <laughs> but here's the thing. There's a sense of community and people enjoy it. Because one thing I learned is people like to watch uh, with other people around. It, 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 the experience is different. So the guy who might think a Thursday night game is boring, he doesn't have any money on it. Yeah, he might tune in and watch along with four people and hear you know, your opinion and feel like, yeah, I'm in the room. I'm in a party. I'm watching a game. That's low effort con uh, content. From last season, of all the content we did at the Hammer, the watch-along stuff was the most successful. Oh, yeah. Generated the most viewership, the most engagement, uh, watch time. So, obviously, we're going to continue to do that going forward. It's announcement coming soon on what the football schedule is going to look like on Forward Progress and on Hammer HQ uh, this year. But, yeah, overall, I, I'm interested in the... I honestly think it's kind of cool. I would, you know probably don't have to take personal shots at people when you're reviewing a podcast and just state your opinion as to why you liked it and didn't without constantly ragging on someone. But um, yeah, I, I think I think it's generally, I'd like to see more of it. And honestly, I will say there is a correlation between this account tweeting 
um, out episode reviews, even for some older episodes that we've done, mm. and then people watching it mm. within the next 12 hours. So it's actually helping boost our views and listenership, Good. even on the ones where they review no. Um, so yeah, it, it is what it is, but uh, overall interesting. Uh, I've seen a lot of accusations. Some accusations were being thrown out at Bet Bash mm. at some people. Uh, I think Captain Jack accused Spanky's head trader Luke of being this account. There's absolutely <laughs> no way this could be Luke because Luke doesn't care about sports. So why would he be listening to all these sports betting caught podcasts about like the AFC East preview and whatever? There's no way. Luke and I are too busy betting lacrosse together anyways. Yes, Zach is heavily involved in the You know the what I love? You've, you've got this investigative uh, journalism part where you want to find out who it is. I'm the guy who, like, when you watch a documentary, like, you know, the one on the missing plane in Malaysia? Yes. And they gave you three different theories? Yeah, one of those theories they could have in- excluded from the doc altogether. I'm one of those guys that each one, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're right. This, <laughs> this is the real one. I, I'm also like that, so I have to be careful when watching those. The, the theory about them, like, going under the plane and like rerouting it with the laptops and like they could have just not include there was no reason to include that it was purely for tv i'm disappointed they didn't go with aliens i I thought that (laughs) that they could have got a fourth episode out of that series yes uh they could have for sure so um bet bash was interesting um not only because people were being accused of being the bet pod ratings account oh by the way there was a lot of people accusing uh rufus at one point this is not Rufus because Rufus is not mean-spirited. Mm. So um, I know that it's not him, but somebody was saying, oh yeah, all the Bet the Process uh, episodes are getting yeses and high ratings or whatever. I mean, it's not Rufus, I can say that, but uh doesn't matter who it is, I guess. As long as, it, as long as we continue to get traction from it and at least there's some positive interaction uh, all around with it. But uh, it's been over a week now. I don't know, actually. I'm horrible with time. Two, since week, I've been two, be- two weeks to the day this airs. Since uh, Bet, Bet Bash. Bash. Yeah. Yeah. It was an experience. You couldn't make it out this year. I bought the VIP ticket and, uh, you know, uh, for issues that I don't care to get into, uh, I couldn't make it. Um, I want to take this from a perspective of what I wanted to get out of it and what I imagine it to be like. And you tell me if I'm way off base and actually what you get out of it. Um, the speed networking thing that I would have gone just so I can get 10 new guests for the podcast. Uh, w- did you do the speed networking thing? I did. Um, who's the best, most interesting person you matched with? Um, so I will say that, and I'm going to just speak candid, by the way, there's people out there that think like Spanky pays me to say stuff about that. This, this absolutely does not happen. If you actually want to know how cheap Spanky is, I was on one of the panels there and I still had to pay for the final party of the event. That's a true story. He's not paying me anything to promote that <laughs> bash. So let's just make that explicitly clear. The speed networking for me this year was a little bit more disappointing than last year. Okay. So last year I got paired with, um, it was 15 people, I still think, last year. Maybe it was 12, but don't remember the exact amount. But I mostly didn't know of the people I got paired with last year. I developed relationships with them that I'll probably, you know, I said probably at least 75% of them I communicated with over the course of the year. This year, I got 15 people, but I knew I knew a lot of them. And now maybe this is my own fault for yeah. the way I filled out the form, but like I got paired with Pisky okay. as one of them, okay. who I interviewed here on Circles yeah. Off. And we chat pretty regularly. I got paired with Thomas Viola from Unabated, who yeah. I chatted with a lot that week prior to that. So my pairings weren't the best. 
Um, the person that was most interesting would probably not be want not want me to say their oh, their name. Okay. But what I will say is that I learned, especially through my pairings, that I I knew that I've known for a long time that sports betting has largely shifted to like the top down approach. Yeah. Okay. The majority of betters who are trying to win now are all top down. I don't want to say it's easy money, but there's like there's al- almost a step-by-step guide in how you can win top-down. Mm-hmm. Most of the questions I got at networking, three or four people were, I started betting in the last couple of years. I'm doing really well. I don't know how to scale. I want to figure out how to scale. But what I learned, and not only through these people, but other people in that room and just talking to people at the conferences, there's so many people out there who are just trying to scale but they're doing top down mm. and it's hard. Yeah. It's very hard to do that. And I almost think, and I'm biased. I'm a very biased person. I'm not sitting next to Johnny. Um, Johnny doesn't only do top down, by the way, he does all sorts of betting. He originates his own UFC, he does whatever, but the pendulum has swung like three or four years ago. It was everybody wanting to build their own models mm-hmm. to like originate games and maybe a lot of those fizzled out, but that was like very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Now it's, you can't find people like that. Like there was no one there who wanted to have a conversation about, oh, I'm doing this for NFL and this for NHL or MLB or whatever. It was very, very top down. So um, anyways, that was my experience. In terms of the most interesting person, uh, it was, I don't want to, you know, the, the conversations are are sort of had, it's not like a, you're, you're dealing with a, a doctor or a lawyer, like just patient confidentiality. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm not the type of guy that wants to just share someone's personal information. Oh, never. Let's say he was doing top down in a more interesting way mm. than I had previously thought. Um, and not only did I talk to him for like the seven minutes that we had at Speed Networking, I talked to him probably for a few hours afterwards. Oh, that's great. But um, I met Joe Brennan, who's partnered with Adam Bjorn, now on uh, this Prime Sports yeah. um, book that they're opening up, um, I met I met a lot of good people. Like it was just, but too many familiar faces. I would say. I think the experience for you is different because uh, everybody knows or recognizes you, or at least a good portion of the audience, versus someone uh, that isn't known. And you both get to learn about each other. Whereas there's a bit of a dynamic where, like, okay, they want to know about you. They're curious. Yeah. So like like I think. You, when you can fill out the speed networking form, um, you have you you have some input into who you're going to get paired with. Okay. So maybe I I made it too specific, but I, definitely, I think a lot of people that I got paired with were looking for like a mentor in mm. some way or looking for advice, mm. and I'm totally fine with that because I I my motivations from Bet Bash are very different than a lot of people's. Right. I'm at a point in my betting where uh, you know, I don't, whatever, this comes across however it comes across, but like, I don't really need help with liquidity. You know, I bet major market NFL, NHL, it's pretty easy for me to get down. There's no appetite. Like there's no shortage of people that are, don't want to work with me on that stuff. Yeah, I'm there to have a good time and like network and just meet people and see what's going on in the space. Like there, uh, I'm going out to bet bash more for a party. Yeah. That, that that I would go for a a party, b uh to get guests for the future show, 
And three, I'm, I'm generally curious. I'm a curious person. I like a guy, if you walk on public transportation and there's 40 people on the bus, everyone has a unique story. Yep. And everyone can at least do one great episode telling you about their life. I, I truly believe that. I have a general curiosity about people. My favorite thing is cracking a bottle of red wine and having a conversation with somebody for an hour or two hours and getting lost in that conversation and actually wanting to learn about that person. I also would not have wanted to go out there to make business connections and I'm fine with my operation yeah. uh, and the money I make and the money I can get down. So that wouldn't have been my main driver either. There are a few connections that I made and this, like, I honestly, again, I would recommend the, the conference to anyone. The price point this year was like $800-ish or so. You got to pay your way out there and, and you know your accommodation. So it's not cheap. But if you're serious about sports betting, I would be there. Now, yeah. listen, again, there's going to be other people. There's other successful sports bettors out there um, that I know through Twitter that, that didn't show up. They don't want to go because they... They want to remain anonymous. Yeah, yeah. They want to, they don't need the help like in getting down their, their operations good to each their own. But I have a great time. Um, meet, you know, see a lot of similar faces every year that I would never see otherwise. Yeah. The Mike Craig's of right angle sports who I love Chris Bruno, who, you know, I'm shooting craps with the guy to like six in the morning every night and having a blast. Um, Captain Jack, I don't see in person, like all these people I don't see we just we just interact online. That okay. That was two of my questions. Is first, who who you, who did you want to see that you had never met before, and who did you want to see from uh, you know them and you just like you know what I like this guy. Good vibes. I haven't seen him in a while. Would love. I can't wait to see him when I when I get out there. The person that I wanted to see that I've never met before was Darren Ravel. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Why? I just wanted to be able to to converse with him outside of the panel to let him know like our I, I was wondering if he was aware of our history mm. of like why he blocked me on Twitter which I thought was like honestly just like a uh, you can block whoever you want wait wait we don't know we don't know we don't know in the future but as of now you can block whoever you want and to each their own you know there's there's some people that I interact with or that like you know they're They'll just block anyone that's negative comments, whatever you do, however you want. But I just wanted to chat with him, um, obviously, because he's a pretty polarizing character, but also because, yeah, I just, I just wanted to see if the real life persona matches the Twitter persona. Sure. So that's that. I'll talk about the panel in brief. In terms of meeting up with people, uh, it's it's definitely a couple of the right angle sports guys, mm. uh, specifically Mike Craig and uh, Jeff, who uh, who runs the, the Discord, or is at least very active in the Discord for them as well. Uh, but those are guys that um, I just always have a, a, a good time with. Like, oh. they're down-to-earth yeah. people. Um, how much, how much, what percentage of the conversations are about betting versus non-betting? Because I, I used to work in media, and the one thing I hated... Or, or, you know, I had connections in politics. I hated the discussions about media and about politics. It, like, we do that at work, man. I, I want to I just hang with you and not talk about that stuff. It was a lot of betting discussion. Yeah. <laughs> there was. It, it, there was a, it, I mean, it's, it's hard to say what the exact split was, but it is a betting conference. People are there. You know, when you introduce yourself to someone, um, a lot of times you just want to let people know, like, who you are. Um, what you do. Mm. So m most of the conversation starters 
are are betting me. Sure, but there was no. Some, I, I mean, the people that you knew, the, the people that you know. It's not, still it still is betting. Like okay. it's like, how are things going? How was the last year? Can I help you out in any way? You know, that's always the starting point, and then you get into other stuff. Typically, where your hobbies will overlap. So in some cases, golf. Some cases, poker, card. You know, whatever. Um, but it is still, it is still a lot of betting uh, talk. Uh, I said Ravel as one of the people I wanted to meet. Two of the other ones were people that I've interacted with but never met in person, um, both of who we interviewed here on Circles Off. One was um, Telemachus Model. Mm. I won't give out his real name. I'm not sure if we aired it on the pod, but um, he, since that pod, has like graduated into professional betting now. Yeah. His college basketball model, which he's he with, he's with Rufus now, He's right? doing some yeah. stuff with Rufus. Uh, so Telemachus model, great guy, way taller than I expected. I don't know why I mentioned that, but you, it's just, no, you're you're way taller than I expected. So for you to say that person's like, it's like yeah, he towers over me. I, I'm just over six feet. Uh, he and I'll, by the way, I got that exact same feedback in public as well. It's like, oh, I always pictured you'd be a shorter guy. I always thought Johnny was taller than you. I I don't know why, but when I saw it, I'm like, oh. Rob's actually tall. I yeah. didn't know that. Six feet uh, and a little bit. And then uh, Clive Bixby as well, mm. um, who is part of the Hammer. We do forward progress together Sunday nights during the NFL season, uh, but I'd never met him in person. So we had a, a good day at Stadium Swim. Um, Did you do the scavenger hunt? Because I, when I was talking to Kevin and he's like, oh, I can't wait for the scavenger hunt. He's like, what about you? And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't think of an event that I l- less want to do than <laughs> I'm a big fat guy and I'm not doing 11 a.m. in Vegas in that heat trying to ride around a split 10K six ways. I had no interest in that event at all. So I actually think I could be wrong, but I actually think it started at 9 a.m., not 11 a.m. Okay. So again, here, open book. I'm, I'm all about honesty and transparency. I'm going to just share these conversations. So I think candidly Spanky was concerned that he wasn't going to have enough people who were interested in the scavenger hunt. So mm. he was really appealing to my like competitive nature. The fact that I love puzzle, like I, I do escape rooms with my wife. It's like a passion of okay. ours. We love that type of stuff. So he was really appealing to that of like, you got to do it as soon as people see you do it, like they'll join or whatever. But on the sign up day, there was actually so many people signing up that I'm like, I'm not, you know, we have an open bar the night before. Sure. I'm going to play craps afterwards. I can tell myself to go to bed at two o'clock. It's not going to happen yeah. because I'm around people that I, I enjoy spending time with. Um, Captain Jack came by that night and had like an epic, like table was so cold. Mm. And then this guy rolled for like 40 minutes. It was, it was incredible. Uh, and I was up to like 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not going to go no sleep for two hours and do this scavenger hunt. So I, I slept, uh, got back, down to you know uh at lunch at circa at saginaw's at like 12 o'clock and then i went to the circle sportsbook i got to see all the groups coming in from the scavenger hunt so basically the winning team uh the way you won is you had to play a specific ticket at the circa sportsbook mm. and then go and hand it to um spanky's uh accounts guy mike got it who I will not call Chinese Mike anymore because he's not even Chinese. He's, v- he's Vietnamese Mike. Um, yeah. Talk- wow. Yeah. Anyways, you had to go give him a ticket and like whoever did that one. So as groups were coming through the sports book, they would see me there and they were like kind of running their logic by me. But I noticed the first like three or four groups all had different 
ticket numbers. They're like, mm. oh yeah, I'm gonna play six dollars on this uh, Eagles preseason game tonight. One group's like, I'm, oh, we're playing ninety nine dollars on week one under um, for the Eagles game. So I was like, I honestly have no idea who could win, but they were all walking me through their logic. This was a very intricate um, like puzzle, and they had to go all over the place. One group ended up somehow at like the penitentiary or the jail. Like they went so far <laughs> off grid, they ended up at like a jail, oh. uh, and Spanky had to call them and be like, no, you guys are in the wrong spot. Like leave there yeah. type of thing. But uh, I didn't do it. I honestly regret not doing it. Really? Because... I think I w- would have done well in one. Like, <laughs> Just because you wanted to win, the, your competitive well, nature kicks in. Plus EV Analytics team won. And there was like a camaraderie amongst the, the team. It was kind of cool. Mm. I, I like, I, it's, it's not even like everybody split whatever. Everyone got like, took home like 2K um, each as part of that team. Mm. It's not, it's not the money or anything. Oh, they, like, they free rolled bet bash. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they paid for the, their trip, but um I, I kind of regret it because I just wanted to see what it was like a little bit more. And um, but then again, do would I go back in time and go to sleep at two o'clock no. when I was playing craps with you know a bunch of of bet bash attendees? I I I wouldn't. I wouldn't change that. All right, the panels. That's the uh, the money and the one that you were specifically on with Jeff Benson, Darren Rovell, uh, and there's two other gentlemen. As Steve well. Fezzik. Steve Fezzik, that's right. Who replaced uh, last-minute scratch Joey Kanish, um, which and some people weren't too happy about, and no, uh, Dave no. Sherapan as oh. well. Um, yeah, so this panel, panel day comes. I meet Ravel in the hall. He's staying on the same floor as me at Circa. I meet him at the elevator to go downstairs, introduce myself, are you Rob Pizzola? Yes. He says to me, how contentious is this going to get? And I'm like, I have zero intent on making this <laughs> contentious. Like I'm not, I, I told him, I'm like, I'm not a Twitter troll, right? I'm, I'm not the guy that's going to, I told him like, you got to worry about Jeff Benson at Circa mm. because he's going to, he will speak like he, you know, to each their own. And yeah. I actually, actually really like that about Jeff Benson, how he's very just outspoken, speaks his mind. But I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm just going to state my point of view. And I'm sure that our points of view will not align on a lot of things. Yeah. But I'm not here to take personal shots or whatever. He's like, okay, you know, like, what's the history? Why do I have you blocked? So we talked about that a little bit for for years ago. I don't know the exact tweet. I'm paraphrasing. Zach might be able to find it and, and put it in in post-production. But Ravel tweeted something along the lines of, like, the odds of two... NFL ties happening in one week or like one in 750,000 absurdly wrong number. Yeah. I don't remember the exact number, but I just remember the, I saw the number I was sitting at a bar and like at just, I'm like, what is this? And I'm like trying to do the math in my head. And I was responding from the bar just like, no, this math is obviously what's the, what's the relevance of the bar here? Uh, have you been consuming a couple of drinks at this point? No, honestly, I just remember where I was at okay. that exact moment. I don't know why I, I had been consuming drinks, but like I wasn't drunk. I was just I just remember it so vividly mm. um, because I was with another friend who happened to be like a stats major. And I'm just like you know, showing him and he's like, this is ridiculous. So it was an, and it was an NFL week where two tie games happened. So he wanted to tweet the, the probability of that happening and he completely mistweeted it. 
Uh, I responded. I'm like, like, no, this is not right. His response to me was like, well, I ran it by Johnny Avello, sportsbook director of wherever he was at the time. And he said that this is like, correct. I'm like, okay, it's not <laughs> like, here's the map. Here's what I would do to come up with, you know, figure out exactly what the probability is. Um, and we kept going back and forth and he just eventually blocked me after like one of the interactions. And I wrote an article the next day I was working with prediction machine at the time. I wrote an article the next day about the exact probability and how I figured it out and how it was way off. That might I have something here, but might be a different one, by the way. Oh, no. But, um, this is November 2nd, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put it up on screen for those watching on YouTube so you can see everything, but there's screenshots and stuff. So, Rob, this is it starts by Rob screenshotting Ravel tweets, and he says, interesting turn of events. Uh, effectively, Ravel was tweeting one of the most free money bets in sports is the under on the service oh, academy games. Army Navy. Yeah. yeah. And then he's giving percentages. I'm not going to get into too much. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Ravel replies, it's not a turn of events, you idiot. The story, which I'm sure you didn't click on, talked about how bookmakers were more aware of the under now, which will make it harder in the future. I bought that and I bet against it today. I lost. <laughs> and then Rob says, Funny that you're calling me an idiot when our first ever interaction was in regards to the probability of two ties happening in an NFL season. You were only a tiny bit off there, if you recall. Yes. And then that's so this it. was this was after <laughs> it. Obviously, uh, I probably had to screenshot a Ravel tweet because I was blocked, um, so I couldn't actually like just post the tweet or whatever. But yeah, so we we have a story passed. Um, so the panel comes, and we're there. Um, now at some point, Rufus. Peabody decides that he's going to do a Twitter thread. This was not immediately when we started the panel. Mm. It was at some other point. Um, but room is packed. It's like, it's weird because I've been to other conferences before where uh, I've spoke on panels. I've been part of them. Usually the audience is very quiet. They're just observing. Maybe there's some questions at the end. This you could feel like, more emotion in the room it's really hard to describe but like even after some answers like people would clap or or you know there was like audible laughing and like it was not it was unusual um and we're following billy walters right Mm. so the room is packed yeah like there was a break after billy walters but everyone is there because pretty much everyone at the conference attends that spanky billy walters interview so rufus is doing this twitter thread which in hindsight, I have since read the thread. It is not entirely indicative of the conversation. Like the first tweet in that thread is Rufus saying, uh, quoting Ravel saying, I am part of the problem, which in my recollection, he said sarcastically mm. and also as part of a larger sentence. So that created like a little bit of a stir. Sure. And everything in there was not exactly fully reflective of the situation but basically sam paniotovich started the moderation kind of asked us all to explain our roles in gambling twitter and eventually it got to the conversation of like don't know how i got to the point but i was trying to make the point that um what bothers me about content creation in the space the most is when the content creator misrepresents themselves Mm -hmm. to the audience. And I explained that I have a personal experience with this. Um, 
when I was younger, like I did an infomercial for covers called Covers Experts, basically. I thought a lot of these people were successful sports bettors mm. that weren't. I tailed picks from people who... So I, I just don't like misrepresentation, right? Sure, sure. I don't care. I never have. If a content creator is a wreck better, a losing better, as long as they are upfront about it. It's when they try to sell themselves as something that they're not, okay. which really bothers me. That's me personally. Some other people, and I had a lot of conversations around the conference afterwards from some people who are like, I don't agree with you on this. You're hypocritical, whatever. Totally fair. You can address those points with me and I'll, I'll always have a, a conversation with people about it. But I could not communicate this point effectively to Ravel, which was really bothering me because he just kept bringing it back to him being the most transparent person anywhere because he tracks all of his picks within Action Network app. Mm -hmm. And I was like praising him for being transparent. I'm like, that's great. There's been some history. There's a guy on Twitter called Sizzle who like has pointed to some maybe deleted bets from Ravel in the past. I don't know whether that's true or not. I honestly, I honestly don't know. Okay. But either way, he was very stuck in like the transparency thing. And like, where's your record, Rob? And I was like, well, you know, the shows I give out picks, I keep track of record. I'm a, I'm a pro better. It's disadvantageous for me to to track every single pick um, for a variety of reasons. So, so they won't reverse engineer your uh, process. No. <laughs> but like, listen, it, it, it's there. There is some truth to that. It's different in the Warren Sharp scenario. We, mm. we talk about a lot of this, but Warren Sharp is selling picks. Yeah. He's giving out his plays publicly, yeah. no matter what. So I think there's an onus on him to track those, even if someone can re reverse engineer, it's like then stop selling the picks, yeah. stop publicly doing them. For me, betting is livelihood. If my NHL stuff, for example, was to get out there, people would be able to flag accounts that know it's my NHL stuff. They could piggyback off it. They could do all sorts of stuff and potentially in some capacity, maybe reverse engineer. But he was very fixated on the transparency component. And I was trying to explain to him that that's not the issue for me. It's the misrepresentation. Like, you're not a gambling expert, Darren. You know like nothing okay. about gambling. Very, very little. So do not put gambling advice out there without letting people know that, especially when you have 1.9 million followers. And other content creators in the space, whether that's YouTube, whatever, just don't put stuff out there without letting the audience know who you really are. Let me ask you something, though. In the grand scheme of things and all content creators, do you think Darren Rovell is one of the most destructive uh, accounts out there? Or do you think there's people that are far worse? Um, he's one of them because he perpetuates like the kind of like maybe the dream that you had of like everybody can win big. Yeah. Like the Parlay Pats, Mattress Max stuff or whatever. Yeah, The guys I, I see, here's the content creators I hate. I hate like Marco Parlay. I hate that oh, guy. I, I, it like disturbs me to the absolute max. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I keep winning million dollar. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I, I don't like, like that. Yeah. Right. So that, that to me is definitely a form of destruction. What, you know, ultimately... I think Darren is just chasing clicks. I think he made that very clear as well. Like people are interested in this. I'm going to write about it. But I do think that there's like an onus to not write about things that can be destructive. So to each their own. Everyone has their own opinion on this. I'm just sharing mine. You might agree with Darren. You might have your own takes. 
But this is my whole do opinion. You, do you think you came off bad? Because you said part of Rufus's Twitter thread didn't capture some of the, 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 the moments on, on stage or misrepresented it. Do you think, when you look back on it, do you think you came off bad reading, uh, reading that Twitter chain? No, I don't. So in the room, I definitely did not feel I came off bad. Uh, I like one for the amount of people who approached me afterwards to talk about it. And like, it was the highlight of their week or whatever. And again, I hope like if it was the highlight of the week, because like you, I was maybe too aggressive with Ravel. I'm not really super proud of that. Yeah. I, I think just from an entertainment perspective, whatever, I, I just spoke my mind. All I did was speak my mind and, um, you know, I don't think I came off bad. Now that video has been recorded. I don't know if it's ever going to be released. It should be. I, I agree, but I don't know if it ever will be. I do think if that was to make like it publicly, most of the recreational side of betters or recreational betters, the vast majority of the betting population, I would probably come off looking poorly mm. because there's just like a, a sore, like there's a lack of education in the space. Yeah. You know, you kind of know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of the points I'm making will just go right over people's heads. I was speaking to my audience, which yeah. are the people in that room, which would understand a lot of what I was saying. But Darren just could not understand what I was saying. And he just kept bringing up examples that were triggering me even more and more. And when I completely lost it in the moment was when he brought up Chris Raybon as an example of someone who does it right. Mm. Chris Raybon being with the Action Network. So, um, backstory, but uh, maybe one to two years ago, someone DM'd me on Twitter, specifically with screenshots of them tracking Chris Raybon on the Action Network app, um, and said like, these lines don't exist. These live bets, like these numbers do not exist mm. when they're coming out. Um, so myself and someone else, um, within bet stamp at the time, we kind of just like did our own due diligence on the situation. And he was very clearly past posting live odds mm. in some capacity. Right. So he may have actually been betting them himself at those numbers, but when he was locking them into the app, they were, had already moved long moved and so he's cooking the books here. Yeah, and, and I was explaining to Darren that like he's past posting numbers and had has been known to do that. It, it's not only me that like the, lots of people know this. So, I, you know, there are people watching this that know this. It's like not a, a, a well-kept secret, but he was explaining to me how it's physically, it's, it's impossible to do that because of the way that their app works. They like Betstamp have, a, have some sort of bet syncing technology where you just place the bet at a sports book and it pulls in the line and tracks it. Now that's relatively new for one, but anyone like with live odds, especially anyone who's trying to keep like a live database of live odds, even like any bet tracking software, it's really hard. Yeah, with live. for sure. And it's just an easy way to skirt the system. And he specifically said to me, and we were arguing about this for a little bit. And I, I kind of just gave up because I wanted to move on. But he specifically said to me, you don't understand how bet tracking apps work, which was the triggering point for yeah. me because I helped build one. Yeah. I come from a product, like I worked as a product manager for the score for years. So 
I help to work on the BetStamp product. I know exactly how bet, bet tracking apps work. I know how to game the system. We spent years, we've spent literally years at BetStamp trying to plug all the holes that we know can possibly exist. But there's always, 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 always going to be a scenario unless you're directly pulling every single bet in from a sports book, which no app is doing right now, where somebody can be watching an odd screen and quickly click a stale number in an app. It might be one second, it might be two seconds, might be 10 seconds with some apps, might be 30 seconds, but it's always a possibility. He could not grasp this. He just could not. And it's a fundamental lack of gambling knowledge, but that was what derailed it for me where it was just like, this guy is just not gonna get anything that I say. And he really hit home many, many times, many, many, many times on him just being extremely transparent. And even Jeff Benson said like, no one's questioning your transparency. Like this is not worth questioning whether or not the stuff you're doing is like, is a harm to the mm. general public. He just, he couldn't, he couldn't get it. And at one point, he then called my reputation into question um, when I disagreed with him on something. He said, well, this is why you have such a bad reputation in the space. Oh, so he does know who you are. Like, he he, he played coy about knowing. Bingo. Me, and then, oh, wait a minute. I've done. Because I didn't think Darren would go into a panel like that unarmed and not knowing about everybody's background. This is why you have such a bad reputation in the space. And Steve Fezzik on my left says. Impeccable. What are you talking about? His reputation is impeccable. He says that I never, I mean, years ago, I never ever thought Fezzik would be the guy sticking up for me, but Steve loves you. Uh, I heard him and RJ Bell and uh, AJ uh, and Steve Seidenberg, uh, Scott Seidenberg talking about the panel post, like they did a show on it. And Fezzik's got a lot of respect for you. He, he admires you. I wonder if it's that, what, what's that syndrome where uh, you, you eventually grow feelings for your kidnapper? Stockholm, Stockholm St syndrome, yeah. yeah. After the beatdown uh, uh, Fezzik received on Circles Off, like he's got Stockholm syndrome. He loves you now. Well, so I think maybe my, what it might have contributed to that, and I don't know for sure, like, I, I actually never interacted with Fezzik for years. Like mm. I've always known of him. We just didn't interact. Um, I, 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 gave, I, I, you know, made a few jokes about his tweets before. Yeah. Like I, it, even in the panel, I was like, I don't know how you click send tweet on some of the stuff <laughs> yeah, that yeah. goes out. Like I have no idea. And, and I, I don't know about you guys, but he clearly uh, saw the kind of money you can make from Twitter now on engagement because Steve has ratcheted up the the violence on Twitter. Like oh, yeah. he's tweeting stuff just to cause commotion oh, yeah. right he's now. He's become a shit disturber for yeah. sure. Huh? I, I gotta give it to him. If he finds another revenue stream, he's gonna <laughs> explore that option. He stepped up his game. But uh, I, I honestly think that a lot of it just stems from, so we did the Circles Off interview with Fezzik. Um, if you haven't listened to it, honestly, I would highly recommend that you check it out. We'll link that in the description below as well. But Johnny and Fezzik were getting into it a mm, lot. Mm -hmm. And Johnny, um, I, I, in my opinion, asked an aggressive but not unfair line of questioning. Yeah, I think totally within his right to ask the questions that he asked. And um, in the hosting chair, there were times where I felt like a little bit uncomfortable. I don't like, I, people will not believe this about me, but I generally don't like confrontation. I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. But I played more of a neutral party. Yeah. If, if it was like a, a witness interview, it was like a good cop, bad cop yeah, type yeah. of situation. 
And I think he probably came out of that interview respecting me a lot more for not being as aggressive. Not with piling him, on, right? Which, you know, I don't think it would have done me any service to pile on there. Yeah. Like I, I, I am a believer that there's, that's another person on the other side of the camera that we're interviewing. Give them the opportunity to tell their side of the story. If you disagree, we can ask questions, we can poke holes, we can do whatever we want to do. But I don't think it would have served me any purpose to just like ask the same questions as Johnny. I think you, I needed to keep it on track to make sure it didn't devolve. Anyways, I think that has led to Fezzik respecting me more. Mm. That's my speculation. He might deny that, agree, whatever. That's just my my perspective. But there's a few things, other things that came up. So I referenced uh, Book It Trent yeah. as someone that I think uh, is a good content creator. Um, and my reasoning, and by the way, anyone can disagree with this stuff. I like. It's not the be all, you know, my opinion's not the be all and end all. These are just the way that I'm wired to think and what I believe on situations. Uh, and I disagree with you on Book It With Trent. So. Perfect. We can have the, this conversation. Uh, and lots of people do. Like this is, this is a very big contentious point. To me, Book It Trent as an individual is, doesn't own Book It. Mm. He's a minority owner in the company. Um, doesn't really have like full creative you know, I, I don't want to get into the full details, but like as just him as a person, what he's doing on a day-to-day -day basis. When I first found him, it was like doing these TikTok videos, which I thought were funny about like, now in hindsight, it's probably a bad idea to put stuff out there, which is like, yeah, I'm like, you know, it's a video of like, oh, I'm like how am my family going to afford to eat this week? Yeah, yeah. And then he's like mashing like lion's money line or whatever. Yeah, I, I can see how it can be taken, you know, but if you got to know him more and watched his content, he was very, very actively preaching that he is not a winning better. And that to me was like, do what you want. You're giving, you're arming people. Even now when people call him like a loser on Twitter, like why would I tail your picks or whatever? He just responds like, I wouldn't. Yeah. Or like, I would bet the opposite. Or like, he very much stays true to who he is as a better. All right, here's the problem. Because you criticize Rovell for saying, hey, I'm transparent. Mm -hmm. You just said, well, Bookie Trent doesn't represent himself as a winning better. Yep. That doesn't matter. Because to me, I don't care that a guy who's an expert tells you, hey, man, bet a unit on this team, right? Who, technically, okay, maybe he's got no edge or the pick is useless, but he's not preaching anything irresponsible. He's saying, bet a unit. I kind of like right. it, right? Bookie Trent uh, puts out a, a, a video this week where his bookie's texting him, hey, man, you owe me two grand. Yeah. And he goes, give me one more day. I got one bet. I want to make it back. And he, and then he puts it all on Baltimore, money line against Washington. And they won or lost. That's irrelevant. But he's teaching the irresponsible part of gambling, the chase, right? The yeah. dumping everything on to try to get yourself on out on a Sunday night. Because, Rob, I've been there. I, I've been there. So have I, by the way. In the whole... Yeah you know, four grand uh, going into Sunday night or, and I'm betting 500 bucks a game and I'm bet, and I bet it all on the Sunday night or just so I could break even. And you're shaking watching this game. Cause a, you don't even know how you're going to come up with this money on Monday for your bookie. You got a queasy feeling uh, watching the game. And then once you lose that sinking feeling of damn, I should have just accepted the four grand loss. Cause right now I would kill to have just four grand to pay instead of the eight. So I find that way more destructive 
than a guy who says, hey, I'm a freaking good better. You should bet the, the Lions plus one because, you know, uh, this quarterback's going to carve this other team. Useless analysis and yep. stuff, that doesn't bother me as much as Book It Trent with some of his content, not all of it, yep. but I don't like content like that. That's totally fair. I've been in the same spot of chasing losses. Obviously, I highly, highly preach bank- bankroll management now and not doing that stuff. Some people, I mean, it's just very challenging. If you've been in the spot before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For me, I think context matters. And again, there, listen, there might be, and it's possible, people who are stumbling upon that video and taking it seriously, I don't believe that there actually are. I think it's a shtick and people realize it's a shtick because he's made it apparent that it's a shtick. Yeah, it's clearly parody. I just think you're feeding uh, that culture. Yeah. Right? And, and and I believe that's more destructive than the actual game or the video or anything about that. It's feeding that chase culture because believe it or not, it's like he makes it look cool to chase all his losses and try to win it all back on one game. It's not cool. Right. It's, there's nothing funny about that because... There's a dark aspect of that, and I've sure. seen it firsthand. I've experienced it. So to me, that stuff strikes a nerve. Yeah, for no, me. and it totally can. It struck a nerve with a lot of people. Most people, though, it was not specifically with Trent. It was with the brand, mm. where it was like, oh, how can you promote this? They're like, this brand is doing this and that. And I'm like, listen, I'm not promoting the brand. I, I don't like every single content creator with Book It. I mm. think that there are definitely people who quote unquote, do it wrong. Yeah. Try to pass themselves off as winners when there's no need for that. Yeah. You, you, you know, you could, you see a guy like Trent who's built a following as a, a losing better and mm. has been like very upfront with it. And for some reason, I, th- I think it goes back to ego yeah. of a sports fan. Some people just can't let it go. They can't just let people know that they, they're a loser or I whatever. Know. But I know. anyways, that was one. And then there was a lot of people that approached me and I will say had very fair conversations with me. It was not like they approached me and like, oh, Rob, you're a hypocrite. You mm. do the same thing or whatever. But it was like, aren't you being a little bit hypocritical because you also run like your own content yeah, network yeah. and you're looking to monetize. And I, I can totally understand that side of things. Personally, I don't believe that. Um, we do have a lot of conversations um, about our talent in specific, our messaging specifically, Yes, we are monetizing through sportsbook partnerships. Yeah. And listen, this is the reality of life. Not every single player that I ever send to a sportsbook or that goes to bed at Pinnacle or wherever is going to be a winning better. That's just not reality. But there's also lots of things that I do and preach that will turn a losing better into like less of a losing better mm. and someone who can maintain a bankroll for a long time and have entertainment and engagement. Look at Zach, for example, behind the glass, right? Although Zach is, I think, now winning better as well. Um, at least his bet stamp is, uh, which, which... Zach's not telling you about the table tennis in Russia not, at 3 a.m. that he's I'm betting. looking at Zach's bet stamp account. He's past posting live odds. Uh, you know, he's yeah. not. But anyways, there, I, I, can, I can get that perspective. Like, I, I like to have conversations with people, and anyone's entitled to have their own opinion on it. But I don't think it's hypocritical, because I think a lot of what we're doing is rooted in the right messaging. And... We, we do that on every, like it can all, it can honestly get redundant how often we do that. Mm. Like we talk about, you know, playing within your limits and stuff, but it's important. So I don't really care that it's redundant. Anyways, those are just like the big. One last question for you, because I think Ravel is very aware of his brand. And I think he puts some, some stuff out that he knows he'll get crap on because he wants the engagement. It feeds him. He d- he, I agree with that. 
you're you've been a public persona for a while now and you have a following um are you self-aware of your brand and are careful about what you're putting out there because I had a conversation with uh, my betting partner, my cousin, who doesn't have a social presence and doesn't want one. And, he, and he's asking me, what are you, wh- why are you doing this? And, and I told him my end goals. And I said, but if tomorrow I had to shut down my profile, Twitter, no more media, and just be happy in my life as a better, I can do it. No problem. Yeah. I'm able to step away. I, d- yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm compelled to tweet every day so that I can keep my brand going al- along. Do you are you in a position where you feel now obligated to have to uh, cater to the audience and give something out there? Uh, I wouldn't call it a no. I don't. I honestly don't. Um, it would sound stupid from someone who runs a content network yeah. to say that, but I don't ever feel obligated. Like people who follow me on Twitter, there will be three four days at a time where I just don't tweet sometimes because I don't think I have something relevant to tweet, or I'm just like it happened to me this week. Okay. Sam Howell has this amazing first half of the the, the game, right? And I cra- I started to craft one or two tweets about Sam Howell, right? I'm like, ah, you got to do something witty. You got to show a half that you don't care. Uh, and then I sat back and I'm like, who cares? Who cares what I have to say about Sam Howell? Because 900 other people on Twitter right now are making the same dumb comments. And I'm like, I was going to land on something like adjusting my power ratings. Washington's going way up. And I'm like... Who cares? I, 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 you know what? Just I'm enjoying this game. I have, I have some money on it. I don't need to tweet this thing out to anybody. I built most of my following on Twitter from just live tweeting Cowboys games. Mm. Honestly, I think people really could feel the emotion that I was feeling through my tweets, and I, I enjoyed doing that. Or just tweeting like primetime football games or whatever. That's how I built it. But like. I don't feel an obligation to tweet yeah. at this point. And I don't feel an obligation to do any type of content, um, you know, that I'm not super comfortable with. Like the Simon Hunter episode is probably the pinnacle episode of Circles Off. Okay. It's got the most views all time. Um, it got the most views likely because it was polarizing and there was a lot of people who came in to defend Simon Hunter. You see that in the con- comments of mm. that video. They still comment. People still comment, still find that video and comment on it. Um, but I, I, professor shine came up to me at bet bash and he's like, dude, that Simon Hunter video. He's like, I have to watch it like once a week because it's like, <laughs> For the laugh, he's just right? says it's the best vid. It's the best piece of content ever created. I don't really love that episode Yeah, because I've listened back and you know, if I could do that in hindsight, we probably should have just reached out to Simon beforehand and had him on instead. You, th- you thought it was mean-spirited? A, a little bit. Yeah. It was never the intent. I mean, it sort of was, but like, it, it's hard to describe. Yeah. Anyways, I just listened back to it, and it's not a piece of content that I love. Tons of people love that. I won't name names, but there's people who still reach out to me about how great that episode was, and they're like, oh, here, like, they're constantly sending me Simon Hunter content mm. of like, oh, you have to roast this guy. You have to do, and like, it's been done. Yeah. I've done it now. You know, the, the, recently he, he had a podcast that was sent to me like by a dozen people about how he consulted for an NFL team during the draft and, yeah. and what, and people send me those now. Candidly, like it's obviously BS yeah, because yeah. either, either he, he, he actually did. No, it's it's and it's pathological. There's it, like it, at this point, I actually, when someone has that level of lying to them, 
like I, I call it salsa, right? Where we all tell a story and there's a couple extra details and, uh, you know, things get turned up 10%. That's called salsa when you're telling a story. Then there's the complete like fabrication of that, of something that never happened in, in a million years. And I go, I look, I'm like, oh, that, that, that's, that's really, there's something wrong with him there that he thinks that people believe this, this crap. So I actually have consulted for teams across major leagues before. I'm not going to say who, because guess what? I signed an NDA and I can't talk about this stuff publicly for, for these. But on top of that, if you were, if you did consult for an NFL team during the draft, and then you went out and did three podcast episodes of NFL draft bets mm. and talked about all the draft bets that you made. We have a real conflict of interest oh, yeah. here, a massive one. So either you didn't, or you absolutely violated some sort of league policy, which is a huge problem. And you've now put that out there. Like it obviously, he obviously didn't, but this is what my, like this, this is the mis misrepresentation of content creators yeah. that, that drives me nuts. Like it drives me crazy. He never had to say that. Yeah. He already has his following who thinks whatever. And he's maybe built that off of many lies, but never had to say that drives me insane. But yeah, I don't, you know, I could do another one of those episodes and we could throw him up on the thumbnail yeah, and yeah. you know, we, and we would probably, we'd bank a ton of views. Sure. And from a business perspective, it makes sense. It makes sense to do it from a human perspective. I don't like the guy whatever, but like, and I'm not saying we'll never do one of those, but I'm not at the place now where like, I just want to rehash that episode. Yeah. Cause I, I did feel like it came across in like poor jest. As a person who's listened to every episode and enjoys the show, Barry Horse and Matt, I think it's Matt Trenhill. Yeah. Still my two favorite episodes. Uh, the Simon Hunter one won't even crack my top 10. Yeah. I, it was entertaining in the moment. I will never rewatch it. Uh, yeah. I, I got it. Well, it's it's not a learning. You're not, uh, so a wreck person, someone who's just pure wreck might learn something from that episode. Because yeah. the whole notion of syndicates or whatever, um, yeah, you maybe maybe you'll learn something. You'll be like, oh, but a wreck person is just as likely to watch that episode, in my opinion. See it in the comments of that episode as well. Yeah. And say, like, these hosts are like haters. They don't yeah. know what they're talking about. And it's really just doing it's doing fan service to like our core audience. Mm -hmm. And you want to do that sometimes. Mm -hmm. You do you do. Like you want people coming back, to, but you want to do it like don't want to do it all the time yeah. and make it a, a consistent thing. Um, plus EV minus EV. Uh, we'll end off the show here. Uh, I got, do you want me to throw to you first? Do you, uh, do you, yeah, you, I've got both mine. And I, okay, go for could, it. Okay, plus EV, uh, pre-tipping. Um, and I'll tell you three spots where it, it pays off. You end up going to a wedding, right? And everybody wants to grab some drinks uh, all night and then they'll tip. What I do is I pull out, nice bill i won't say how much slap it on the table and say hey man looking forward to the night um this is my drink i never wait in line after that there's 20 people at the bar crowded he sees you <laughs> over here drink ready just because i pre-tipped him this is a, this is a absolute pro move i'm totally with you on this i actually i talked about stags on this program before i had a stag on friday night Pulled the same move right away. Yeah. Make sure that that bartender sees you right away. Thanks very much. Whatever. Boom. The rest of the night, it's ready to go. Do it at uh, Copacabana too. Copacabana is an all-you-can-eat uh, Brazilian steakhouse. 
and they got like 20 different types of steak and they'll constantly bring it around and cut you off a piece at a time one piece usually and move on but there's like four really good meats right the, the ones with like parmesan oh, steak yeah. there's the four bangers right you make sure you tip two different waiters right early and every time they get that you'll be the first table that gets there yep. and he's cutting you off a second piece and he's taking care of you because you pre-tipped yep totally agree Great move. Pre-tip, and that's that's, Pre-tip's a great that's move. a positive EV move in your life. Uh, minus EV? Minus EV is uh, hosting a party, okay? <laughs> it, it's Say the party goes from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. or depends on what kind of party it is, I guess. And you've got to spend the day before probably shopping everything. Then you got to get up a few hours earlier and prep the food and cook and everything. And then while the party's going on, you drink okay, you got to play hostess. And then when everybody's gone, now you've got the reality, I got to clean this place. It's going to take oh. me another eight hours. So that six hours of enjoyment that the guest gets, it costs you about two days worth of headaches just to make things go smoothly. So I think hosting a party, negative EV move. Man, you, you're, you're, we're, we're on the same page today. I got I to gotta play this one for my wife. We host a, a Christmas party every year, but my wife, God bless her soul, she ha- it's called it's a Christmas games party. We did this for the bet stamp office like a couple years ago. Zach will remember this as well. But like she comes up with unique divides people in teams. We buy like a different color stocking for the teams or a toque or whatever. It's like this whole ordeal. But I'm part of like the whole planning and the setup and the cleanup. And they're there for like four hours. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's got kids. They got to wait till their kids go down or they can get a babysitter. You know, they're over at nine. They're leaving at like one in the morning because they got kids and they got to deal with them the next day. It's, it's, it's a struggle. I'm not, I'm not, I love parties. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't like hosting them. Never, never. Um, plus EV. I uh, just did some recent traveling. Uh, we had call customer service, Josh, on a couple weeks ago. I gave him this pro tip several years ago when I was doing a lot of traveling for work um, and just to like meet different betting partners in different cities and stuff like that. But my wife often wouldn't come with me for a lot of these and her choice, I would always, always ask, but she would message me when I'm there, how are things going? Or, you know, when I come home, how was the trip? I don't want to blatantly lie, but the plus EV move is to focus on the worst parts. Mm. You do not ever want to make your significant other or spouse, whatever, feel like they were really missing out on something. Yeah. Because one, it just pisses them off and it's going to aggregate, aggravate them. What, imagine like while you're gone, your wife messages you and like, how are things going? You're like, oh, best trip ever. Like she's just sitting at home now of like, what the fuck? Like yeah. he doesn't have this, this type of fun with me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then, or when you get back, it's the same thing. So you really, really have to focus in on the worst details and just ham it up. Like, my Wi-Fi was terrible. Like I couldn't, I could barely <laughs> work. What, you know, this, the shower had, like bothered me the whole trip because the water was too cold. Whatever it is, just do not make the trip sound too good and, if you're traveling without your significant other. And then you got to sprinkle in, you know, if you were here, it would have, I could have got through this a lot easier. Yes. You, you got to let them know that they could have enhanced this terrible trip that you had. I, a hundred percent. And then she'd be like, oh, maybe next time I'll come with you. Next time comes, doesn't really want to come, whatever. It's fine. But 
you know, I travel with my wife, we do our own vacations, we both afford each other the flexibility to have our own time. So she wants to go on a trip with her friends, whatever, go on a trip with your friends. If I want to do the same thing, we do that. But God, like, do not return and say it was unreal. No, like, no. oh, you missed this view. Look <laughs> yeah. at these pictures I got. Do not do that. So uh, it's it was a tip I gave to uh, call customer service many years ago, and I stand by it as plus EV. Minus EV. While I was on this said trip, I went from Bet Bash directly to Nashville, Tennessee, drove to Jefferson City to play mini golf against Rufus, who I beat, by the way, in that 1-1 series. Um, but on the way home, we flew back out of Knoxville, Tennessee. So I'm at Knoxville. I'm at the airport. I'm going through the line at the airport, at security line. And there's like all these pictures in line. And Zach will bring them up on screen here. If you're listening, you'll just have to hear me describe them. But it's a picture of a gun and bullets. And it says, like, Officer Stanton prevented this gun from getting on a recent flight. And as you go through the line, there's more of these. Officer McConnell prevented this gun from getting on a recent flight. Six bullets here. Officer Stanton, again, Officer Fiore. And I'm like, why the fuck would the airport... Yeah. Put these in the lot. Like, do they think they're doing a, like, serve? What if Officer Stanton's not working today? Yeah. Like, am I in big trouble because he didn't prevent? I didn't even know there was this many, many people trying to bring guns on a flight. Now I'm freaked out. Yeah. Now I'm in the line. I'm like, holy fuck, all these are within the last month. There's just five pictures here of people trying to bring guns onto the flight with, like, a full magazine. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, why? Your airport... You want to put people at ease. Yeah, yeah. Like your your one goal is make things go as smooth as possible. I don't want to know that this happens. This is absurd. Officer Walsh, like I've never even seen guns that look like this in my life before. Officer Welsh prevented this gun from going on a flight. Don't do this stuff. No. If you are in air travel, if you're work, like if you run an airport, make the 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 customer, the like the air traveler seem. As, like make it as safe as possible. I don't want to know that this shit happens. This is forever stuck with me now. Yeah, I'm going to be at every airport. Like, what does this guy have in the bag? You know, granted, at least these things are getting caught. There's like a little bit, but who knows? Who knows what gets through? So don't. If you're in air travel, if you know someone in air travel, get rid of these. Make people feel safe at the airport. Oh, totally, totally unrelated, but kind of related because I love the sidebar. I'm in Panama uh, on a boys trip and we end up going to a club downtown and we get into the building and then my buddy says out loud, he goes, we didn't get patted down at the door, did we? I go, oh, thank you, man. Now this is the worst night on. I'm like hyper aware of everybody. I'm like, and I, I didn't notice that. But he had to plant that seed in my head because now I'm thinking, who the hell is strapped in here and who isn't? Just because he said that comment. It's the idea of don't bring awareness to something that I probably don't want to know about. We'll end off on uh, one other thing. Uh, I just want to tell you, so your niceness yes. of giving up your bet bash ticket to a friend of mine. Oh, Zach's going to put up the uh, the image on screen here. So you told me can't go to bet bash. If you've got a friend that wants to go, just give him the ticket and he'll be there. Um, my friend Giancarlo Peruzza came out with me to Bet Bash. Ended up playing a $300 No Limit Hold'em event uh, at the Wind. 
and he won it for $9,936. Good There's a show. picture of him up on screen. Uh, you can see it here with these pocket pens oh, that he's holding as the winner. That's but awesome. It's funny how things come together because he may not have made it out for that trip. Ultimately, gets a ticket, goes and uh, and wins himself almost 10K. And for Canadian, with the exchange rate, that's roughly 13,000. What is that? The bucks. But- butterfly effect? That That's what just happened there? Pretty crazy. So being a nice guy actually does... Uh, you, you're a guy who believes in that stuff, in the karma. So, I mean, um, good for you for, for giving that up and, and not asking anything of good. it because uh, at the end of the day, it came through. Check out George's podcast. It's right here on the Circles Off YouTube channel and in audio form as well. It's called 90 Degrees. He interviews different people from around the betting space, bookmakers, bettors, entertainers. Uh, does a really good job with it, Other aside from what BetPot rating says about him. I actually think he does a really good job with it. And the feedback has been predominantly very good, as have the analytics, which I care about the most. So check out 90 Degrees for sure. If you are in Ontario, check out Pinnacle. And again, play responsibly if you are going to sign up. Use code HAMMER when doing so, as it helps support the show. I have one last thing. Uh, you're listening to this on Thursday. Uh, if you're listening to it on Thursday or Friday morning, uh, Rob, I think we can say the sports book on Friday. Uh, Brad Powers, Parker Fleming, uh, Douglas Farmer from the Hit the Books channel, as well as myself, will be at Circa Sports in there doing a live show on Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time. So you can come say hi to us there before or after the show, preferably not during the show. That would be appreciated if you don't do that. Uh, and then Saturday, we have a booth at Circa as well, so you can come say hi to us. We'll be in there watching the games as well. So if you want to come, stop by. But before then, even if not, you can uh, check out the show on Hit the Books HQ YouTube channel. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Hit the Books is, has been cooking lately. It, we're actually going to have to get, like, I'm going to have to put my foot, foot down. So I'm not exaggerating. I've probably tried to get Kanish a mic a dozen times. <laughs> he either rejects it says he's getting his own mic. He complains that it's the cord that he has. Or There's always some excuse, but it's actually getting enough viewership right now that, like, we can't, Zach, we cannot have this happen anymore. You have to pay him to for the permission to put the mic in his house. He needs an incentive. Of, of, of A new mic is not clearly an incentive enough for him. He needs, he, he wants something extra. He's holding out for a better deal. Well, he can't use one of these that we have here because he's laying down on his couch when he records most <laughs> of the shows, right? So we have to get him a headset or something, but we have to get him something. So that's going to happen for all the listeners of Hit the Books. I saw Doc Better out there started a GoFundMe to get Kanish a new mic. We don't need the money to get him a mic. We just need him to actually accept the... I'm scared we'll order an Amazon package to his house and he'll just say like, no, take this away or leave it out there because he doesn't want the mic. So we will get that done. Hit the books. He's going well. Definitely check that out as well. This has been episode number 116 for myself, Rob Pizzola, for G-Stack George, for Zach Phillips behind the desk. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you smash that like button and we'll catch you next week.